Let's bow before our God in prayer. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we count it a joy and privilege to be gathered together this morning, the special day that you have set apart for us to come together to worship you, to leave aside the cares of this world and to come into your presence as your people, to sing praises to you, to cry out to you in prayer, and to sit under the preaching of your word. We are grateful that you allow us to come together and that you have drawn each one of us here this morning. We worship you for you are a good God. You are all-powerful and all-knowing and that you are gracious and merciful and yet you hate sin. We know that as we come before you, we come before a holy God, a God before whom we could not come in our own efforts, with our own merits. For we are a sinful people. And when a sinful people comes into your presence, we are destroyed. But we thank you for the blood of the Lamb that cleanses us and washes us, makes us whiter than snow, that we may come into your presence, that we may look into your word and learn more about you, and even as we were reminded this morning that we will spend all eternity learning more about who you are as we stand before your presence and worship you. But we thank you, Lord, that through your word we do know who you are and what you have done for us. That as we study your word and as your Holy Spirit illuminates our minds, we are able to know great truths about you from your word. And we're able to know truths about ourselves. We thank you for your word that we can turn to and your word which has been preserved throughout the centuries. That even today we can read it in our own language. We can understand it and we can meditate upon it. And Lord, as we gather before you this morning, we think of our many needs. And even this past week as the storms have gone through our city and caused damage and disruptions and so many things that have been amiss. We are once again reminded that we are a finite people and that though we put up structures and though we have systems in place to uh, fight against extreme weather conditions, that ultimately you are sovereign and that through natural disasters we are reminded we are given a glimpse of your power. We pray, Lord, that even as those who are working hard, even this hour, to restore power, as they do this, we pray that you would be with them, that you would keep them safe, that you would give them might strength and diligence to restore power, take care of their families, even as they spend several hours away from home, risking their own lives, that we may have power. We pray for those whose homes have been damaged and others whose homes have been destroyed. We pray that you would comfort them in the midst of these difficult and trying circumstances. But through it all, Lord, we, may, we pray that many would come to know you as they think of the frailty and brevity of life and that they see that we should not place our hope in these things that pass away and, and these things that are destroyed within seconds. 
We pray that many would think about the great God who is in heaven above, who controls all these things with his hand, but a God who is gracious and merciful, abounding in love and steadfastness. We think of Pastor Wynn, who is away in Malawi, uh, preaching at these uh, conferences. We thank you for the ministry that he has already undertaken and the conferences that he has already preached at. We pray for the word that was proclaimed. We pray that you would use it in a mighty way, especially as he speaks to ministry leaders and pastors. And as they are shown the truths of scripture, we pray that you would give them a teachable spirit, that you would grant them the ability to repent of things that are not in conformity to your word, that you would enable them to continue proclaiming the gospel and the truth that they find in your word. We pray that you would be with Brother Thomas even as he uh, is experiencing backache from the travels that he has undertaken and uh, the uncomfortable rides with the bad roads. We pray for healing. We pray for strength and that you would sustain him for the remainder of his trip. We pray that you would protect him from any further illnesses that uh, he may face during this trip and that you would continue to use him at the other conferences that he is yet to speak at. We pray that you would uh, even bring him back to us safely at the end of his trip and sustain us here uh, in his absence. We also think of Miss Lawanda, that you would be close to her as she uh, waits for his return and that you would provide all that she needs and use us as a church to serve her in whatever way we may, may do so. Lord, we think of uh, our governments. We think of uh, the government at the local level, but also at the national level. We pray for the men and women that you have called to office. Lord, we pray that you would enable them to serve the people of this country well, that they would stand on the truth that is found in your word, that they would seek to lead the people of this country well and to put uh, regulations and laws in place that would cause this land to prosper once again. We pray that you would keep them from error and wickedness and from promoting things which are untrue and things that are lies and, and will cause more harm than good. We pray for their salvation, Lord, for we know that unless they come to know you as their Lord and Savior, they will not be able to do what is right. They will not be able to uphold your word. And so we pray. We pray for illumination. We pray for their salvation. We also think of uh, John Cardney, and as he is in hospital right now, Lord, we pray that you would be uh, with the doctors who are attending to him. We pray that you would grant them wisdom and grace that they may be able to heal him and treat him well, that he may recover uh, quickly, be with his family as they serve him and are no doubt worried about his, his well-being, that we pray that you would comfort them and help them to trust in you. <laughs> even as they have demonstrated their trust in you on the mission field. We pray that you would continue to be with the work that they are doing, that even in the absence of John, uh, the work would continue and that you would undertake for them in a special way. We think of um, the mothers in our midst who are expecting. We pray that you would continue to watch over them. And even as they draw towards the end of their pregnancy, we ask that you would Grant them a safe pregnancy and delivery. Be with the mothers and 
the babies that are growing in their, in their wombs. We pray for safety and their protection. We also think of the fathers that are represented in our church uh, this day, even as we and many around the world celebrate Father's Day. Lord, what, is, what a great privilege and honor it is to be called fathers, even as you are our heavenly Father, as we are called to walk uh, as you have served us and as you have given your son to die for us. You help us to lead our families well and to train up the children that you have blessed us with in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We pray that you would give us much strength and help us to look to your word for the standard of what a godly man ought to be and not look to the world and the many false teachings that are out there in regard to godliness and manliness. Lord, we also want to remember the upcoming family camp, and as we are just a couple of weeks away from it, we pray that you would undertake for it. We pray that you would provide all that is needed and that many would come to hear your word uh, preached and, and the teaching on the, on the doctrine of the church. We pray with all that you would be with all the preachers who will be bringing your word to us during the camp, that you would be with them even now as they prepare to bring your word. And Lord, we ask that you would now continue to be with us as we turn to your word. We pray that you would speak to us and we come to your word expectant to see and learn wonderful things in it. May you strengthen the believer. May you draw the unbeliever to yourself through the proclamation of your word and through the preaching of it. We pray that you would be with me as I preach, that you would grant me clarity of speech and strengthen me and hide me behind the cross that as I preach the, the words of Christ may go forth and achieve the purpose for which they have gone out. Pray that you'd also be with the hearers, that you would strengthen them and enable them to hear your word and not only be hearers of your word but also to do what they say. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We will be in Philippians chapter 4 this morning, Philippians chapter 4, and I will be reading verses 2 through 9. Over the past several months, uh, whenever I've had the opportunity to preach, I've slowly been making my way uh, through Philippians, and I'm, I'm sure it doesn't quite feel like a series at this point because there have been uh, lots of breaks in between, but we are slowly but surely drawing to the close of this letter. Uh, and, and for me personally, studying this letter and reflecting upon it has been a great uh, blessing for me, and I pray that it may be to you also. So as we draw towards the end of the letter, we, we've passed the main body of this letter as it may be. And as Paul draws to the close of this letter in chapter 4, we see him, particularly in this passage and even the one we'll be considering next week, we see him highlighting the doctrines, the teachings that he has spoken about throughout this letter. And so in a sense, it's a, it's a good way to end this letter because it reminds us of the things which he laid before the Philippians and, and the things that he considered as important for the Philippians to think about. And so, so too for us, as we come to the end of this letter, we are reminded of what he has been talking about throughout this letter. So hopefully this will be something of a refresher for us. So I will read 
uh, from Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 to 9. Hear the word of the Lord. I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. May he add a blessing to it. As some of you know, this past week, uh, Adam, Seth, Dirk, and I went to New Orleans for the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, when we got there, I was struck by the sheer number of people that were present in the, con in the convention center. I knew there were going to be a lot of people before I went there, but when I walked in, I realized that it was a lot. And within the first few minutes of walking into uh, the center, or I'll say the first minute or so, I kept thinking I was seeing somebody I knew. But after a minute or so, I said to myself, who are you kidding? There's like 12,000 people here, and what are the odds that you will see somebody uh, at this point? Well, a few minutes later, we passed a group of men dressed very smartly in blue uniforms with badges on, above their left pockets, and they were in a group. And though there were like 12,000 people present, you could not miss this group of US Navy chaplains. They were very smartly dressed, and nobody needed to tell you who they were. Their identity spoke for themselves. I put it to you that as Christians living in a fallen and sinful world, we should be something like the US Navy chaplains at the convention center. We should not have to tell anybody that we are Christians. It should be evident by the way we live our lives. And so as we consider this passage of scripture, I want us to answer the question, what does a Christian look like? What does a Christian look like? Now, if some of you have looked at the bulletin, you'll see that that's the second change uh, in the bulletin. First, the Old Testament reading wasn't the same, and now the title is not the same. Uh, I think that's all for the changes for today. So rest at ease, and sorry for those changes. But looking at our text here, I just want us to note briefly the, the structure of the passage that we're looking at. Uh, you notice that in verses 2 and 3, Paul is addressing uh, or he's, he's addressing the situation between Eudia and Syntyche. Uh, he urges them, I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. We are not given the exact details of uh, what the issue was, but we know that whatever they disagreed upon was beginning to cause division within the church. 
This is something that we have seen throughout this letter, and it's a concern of Paul's because the church in Philippi is a supporting church, as we see here uh, in verse 3, that these were fellow workers. They have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement. And so these were the core members of Paul's missionary team, uh, as you might uh, want to say it. And the rest of his fellow workers, he says, whose names are in the book of life. And so he's identifying this group of people as Christians. These are Christians who had disagreements. Surprise, surprise, right? No, Christians can disagree. We know that. And we, we see that even in our churches today. Many churches sadly have divided and have had to split over many uh, minor issues. But what Paul is urging them is that they would agree in the Lord, agree in the Lord. And this phrase, in the Lord, is very important even for the rest of our passage. The agreement uh, is, is not just uh, putting aside your differences and, and being the bigger person, but the agreement is in the Lord. You are both Christians. You realize that you are united you realize that you have the same Lord and Savior. And then, uh, so that's the first few verses that we see in our passage where he's encouraging them, he's entreating them to agree in the Lord, and he addresses uh, his true companion, which again, uh, it, could be, uh, it could be the one delivering the, the letter, Epaphroditus, or it could be another companion in the church of Philippi. So Paul addresses them on this matter. And then the verses that follow, verses 4 to 9, we see that Paul here gives them seven imperatives, seven, seven commands in these verses of what they ought to be doing. Hence, I have uh, put the question before us, what should a Christian look like? What should a Christian look like? As we look at these verses, verses 4 to 9, we see that Paul not only is instructing Eudia and Syntyche, to do these things, these seven imperatives, but that they apply more broadly to the church in Philippi and even to us today, that Christians ought to be characterized by five things that I'm going to put forward before us this morning. First of all, a Christian is one who rejoices in the Lord. A Christian is one who is known for his reasonableness. A Christian is one who is who prays in all circumstances. A Christian is one who, <clears throat> the Christian is one who thinks about godly things. And lastly, a Christian is one who continues in the things that he has learned, who continues in the things that he has learned. So we will make our way through those five uh, points this morning, and they are not the, the usual three points, but even the the five points of Calvinism has five points, so <laughs> we can be we, we can be comfortable that we are on safe ground here this morning. And you'll notice that the five points that I'm putting forward are right from our text this morning. So let's first of all look at the first point here that I want to uh, bring out to us in verse four. A Christian is one who rejoices in the Lord. A Christian is one who rejoices in the Lord. Look with me at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. This theme of rejoicing in the face of suffering is one that has continued uh, throughout the letter. 
as Paul has uh, urged the Philippians to, to rejoice, but he himself has expressed his joy in various different things. And even here, as he comes to the end of the book, even just in this chapter, he encourages the Philippians to rejoice three times. In our verse, two of those times are found. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, when we think about rejoicing, we need to spend a little bit of time to, to make some distinctions and to appreciate why this should be one of the marks of a Christian. Why should a Christian be known as being someone who rejoices in the Lord always or rejoices at all times? We want to make a distinction between rejoicing or having joy and happiness, whereas happiness is a feeling which is determined by the circumstances that may take place without or even within. How you are feeling inside uh, determines whether or not you are happy on that particular day or that particular moment. Whereas joy, uh, joy is not just an emotion, but even as Paul shows us in this verse, in verse 4, our rejoicing comes by being in the Lord. And so he's calling us uh, not just to have a pep talk every day in the morning when you get up and look in the mirror and say, today I, I determined to be happy. Today I determined to be joyful regardless of what I am going to face. But this rejoicing is one that is found in the Lord. And so if we think about it, if you want to distinguish by having happiness or even trying to be joyful based off of other situations and other circumstances, as opposed to rejoicing in the Lord, we can see how a Christian is able to rejoice in all circumstances. Because though the things uh, in this world will constantly change, our God never changes. And so if we rejoice in the Lord, who never changes, then we can rejoice in all circumstances. We can rejoice in the midst of a storm, a literal storm that we have gone through this week. We can rejoice when we lose power. When we, can, we can rejoice when the refrigerator goes out. Just talking about the immediate situations, but even more broadly speaking, you can rejoice when you're having family difficulties, when you're at odds with a brother or a sister, when you lose a loved one, when you're dealing with terminal illnesses. Even in the midst of that situation, a Christian is able to rejoice, not because of some power within themselves, but because their rejoicing is in the Lord. Their rejoicing is in the Lord. The first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism asked, what is the chief end of man? And I know that the fourth to sixth graders uh, who are here on Wednesday nights know the answer to that question. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I should say, I know that they at least know the answer to that question. And, and many of y'all uh, have memorized the question and answer as well. Well, we think of that question and answer that is put forward uh, by the Westminster divines, that our rejoicing, uh, that we are, to, we are to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We are to enjoy him forever. And that is our chief end. Obviously, that does not mean that we don't have other ends but the highest calling of us as an individual is to be glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, one thing we must take into account here is that, as we have seen, Paul is addressing Christians. He is addressing the church in Philippi, 
And even in verse 3, he reminds uh, us and he reminds the church that these are those whose names are in the book of life. And when we think about rejoicing in the Lord, we can only rejoice in the Lord if we have been made right with him. We can only rejoice in the Lord if we have been made right with him. You cannot enjoy God forever if you are at enmity with him. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 reminds us that before we were made right with God, before we were reconciled, we were enemies of God. And so if you are here today and you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, then you are an enemy of God. And can you imagine being locked in a room with an enemy? You will not enjoy that. And so too, if you have not put your trust in God, you will not be rejoicing in this life and definitely not in the the life to come. As we will see later on, a Christian is one who is able to have peace because of their reconciliation with God. And therefore, if you are not reconciled to God, you do not have peace with God. You're constantly wandering in this world trying to find joy and happiness and peace in the things that cannot provide those things for you. Are you wandering in this world? Are you seeking happiness and fulfillment in this world and constantly being disappointed by it? Well, the reason for that is because you're looking for something where it cannot be found. This world cannot provide you with the joy that is found only in the Lord. Psalm 16, verses 7 through 11, remind us, and I'm going to just read those verses. Psalm 16, verses 7 through 11. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to shale or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We see the psalmist uh, here expressing the joy that he finds in being in the Lord. He says there in verse 9, Psalm 16, My heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. In your presence, he goes on to say, there is fullness of joy. If we are living in communion and with uh, union with Christ, if we are living in the presence of God as it were, there is where we find our joy. Our joy is not dependent on the circumstances outside of us, but it depends on our relationship with God. And so you might ask, yes, I know that I must rejoice in the Lord, but how do I do that practically? Well, just as if you had a close friend, you would want to spend much time with them. So too, the Christian who rejoices in the Lord seeks to be in the presence of God. He seeks to read his word He seeks to pray. He seeks to let his requests be known before God. And we'll we'll be coming to that point in just a moment. A Christian is one who 
constantly is asking, what would God have me do in this situation? The thought of God is never far away from the Christian because he lives in communion and in union with God. He realizes that he lives for God and that his chief end is to glorify God regardless of the situation that he finds himself in. And so a Christian is one who rejoices in the Lord always, but he is, under that we see that he is one who walks closely with God. And that's why it is a misnomer to say that you are a Christian, but you don't like going to church. You are a Christian and you claim membership in a church, but you've never been there for the past five years. You don't know if they've relocated addresses, but you claim to be a Christian. If you are truly a Christian, you seek to be in fellowship with God and with his people. You seek to live by his word. But in the second place, we see that a Christian is one who is known for his reasonableness. A Christian is one who is known for his reasonableness. Look with me at verse 5. Paul says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And again, considering the context here, we see that Paul is addressing this conflict that is going on within the church. And in the, in the face of that, in the face of what the church is going through, and particularly these two women are facing, he reminds them that they ought to be known for their reasonableness. As we, as we think about what this means, we might think of somebody who is known for their graciousness, for their long-suffering, for their forbearance, if you are looking for another word, for their reasonableness. Or we might think about those who we have sometimes called unreasonable. If somebody is demanding something of you which just cannot be achieved, perhaps you have a tough boss who wants you to finish eight hours or eight hours of work within three hours. We would call that request unreasonable because within, uh, within the normal circumstances, within the time that you have and the amount of work you need to do, the request that is being put before you is unreasonable. Well, a Christian is to be one who is reasonable, who is willing to go the extra mile. Again, to use that analogy, if you are going to require five hours for that work, he will give you six hours so you can take a break. You can, now, don't claim this on Tuesday when you get back to work. I'm just using an illustration. Okay, so, you, you, you give the person grace because you know that you yourself have been shown grace. And, and even as we were discussing yesterday at the men's uh, breakfast, that as a parent, you are there. You know that you require your, your children to, to keep the laws that you have put down for them. You, you, you require them to live by a certain standard. And there, is, there are consequences associated with not keeping the law. And yet, you are to be gracious towards your children. You are to be merciful. You are to extend the same grace that... God has extended to you. But Paul gives us the reason there in verse 5. He says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Remember the times you are living in. These are the end times. And commentators uh, discuss whether this means that we are living in the presence of God. Uh, we are living in the face of God. And as Christians, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit 
or is it referring to the return of Jesus Christ? And I don't think we need to split hairs over which one it is because it's actually both, I believe. The, the, the force uh, is added by considering both of those realities as those who have been born again, as those who have been made regenerate. We are living before the face of God. We realize that God is ever-present and that there is no way that we can go, that we can hide from His presence. But at the same time, we realize that we are living in the end times. No one knows the day or the hour when the Lord shall return. We know that we'll be called to account when the Lord returns. And in the face of that, the, the, the Apostle Paul here is reminding the Philippians that let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. People should know you as someone who is gracious, who is willing to go that extra mile, who is willing uh, to, to bear with other people because you are constantly aware of the times that you are living in. You realize that this world is not an end in itself, but that we are simply on a journey. We are passing through. So having, having noted that a Christian is one who rejoices at all times, and having seen that he is to be known for his reasonableness, let us thirdly see that a Christian is one who prays at all times. A Christian is one who prays at all times. Look at verse 6 with me. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is, is just a beautiful verse and a beautiful passage of Scripture for us to reflect upon. And let's spend a few moments just thinking about this. Paul is, is putting forward prayer as an antidote to anxiety. You notice that he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything we are to be prayerful. A Christian is one who is to be prayerful in all circumstances. He's not one who is fretting over every little detail, who is tossed back and forth over any little change, or even major change for that matter. And this ties in with what we were looking at in point one. He is firmly founded in the Lord. He rejoices in the Lord. And regardless of the situation that comes, he is not thrown back and forth. We are obviously not calling for Christians not to have emotions. We are not calling for Christians to be stoic people who have learned to control emotions, uh, as the stoic philosophers uh, would proclaim, that uh, that is the goal in life, that you are detached from emotions. You just become a stoic person who doesn't feel anything, no anger, uh, no sorrow, no grief, you are always the same serious person. Well, we know that is not true because Paul expresses his joy. He expresses sorrow. He, he says that he weeps and he mourns. He expresses deep emotions. But as we see, and we will see even, Lord willing, next week, he talks about being firmly founded in the Lord. Next week, we will look at how he says that he is content whatever situation he finds himself in. And so the antidote to worry, to not being anxious about anything, is to carry everything 
to the Lord in prayer, as the hymn writer reminds us. Think about a little child, and, and I can't help but think of Ayan, our two-year-old. We don't have to put it on the schedule that these are the times in the day that you run to mama with a problem that you have. The minute he faces something, he's straight away off to mom. He cries out to mama, sometimes dad, but you know, if mom is there, go to mom. And so he doesn't have to be reminded that he needs his mama. He doesn't need it on the schedule. He doesn't need to be disciplined for that. You know, you, you didn't go to mama this time. And so too, as Christians, we are to have that childlike spirit. We are to run to our heavenly father, not just wait for uh, the midweek prayer meeting or wait for the time of prayer in church or even your time of prayer at, as a family. But in every situation, as he says in verse 6, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So rather than being anxious about whatever you are facing, take it to the Lord in prayer. This is a command that Paul has put down for us. And Jesus reminds us again that we are not even able to add a hair to our head by worrying. So what's the point? Let's take it to the Lord in prayer. Our human nature causes us to want to fix the problem first before taking it to God in prayer. We want to see if we can fix it. Maybe we can think about it. Maybe we can worry about it a bit. And then we'll, once we've got it all figured out, we'll take it to God in a well-articulated prayer. But that is not what God is calling us to do. That is not what Paul reminds us to do in these verses. The antidote to anxiety. And there is much to be anxious about in this world if you are not looking to God. Nothing seems to be certain. Even the things that we, we bank upon, we, we look at our jobs and we, we take out loans and we take out mortgages because we can rely on the income. And the next thing, you lose your job or the company closes down. There's so much to be anxious about in this world. But remember, our hope is not found in the things of this world, but it's found in our sovereign God who holds us in the palm of his hands. And trusting in God's sovereignty doesn't mean that we are, we are hopeful that everything will go well for us. We do not know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds our tomorrow. And therein lies our comfort, brethren. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And see the promise that we find ourselves in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Are you prone to letting your mind wander off? Thinking about the what-ifs? Are you prone to letting your emotions take the best of you? Do you find yourself crippled to the point you can't get out of bed every morning? Pray. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Because as Paul reminds us, the peace of God, what a beautiful picture, the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. Therein is where we find our peace. It's by trusting in God, by taking everything to God, and then we stop worrying about it. Can you see that picture? You've taken everything to God. You've left it at the cross, and now you, in return, receive the peace of God, which guards your heart and your mind. And we know that our hearts and our minds need guarding. 
We need to take every thought captive as we will be looking at in our final, uh, our next point. So let's move on to the next point. We see that a Christian is one who thinks godly thoughts. A Christian is one who thinks godly thoughts. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We see here Paul giving us a long list of the things that we ought to be thinking about. And even as I was just saying in the previous point, our minds are prone to wonder. Many a times we've heard preachers say, what if you were sitting here or at the end of your days, your thought life was projected on a projector screen for everybody to see? We would be ashamed. The kinds of things that we think about, even at this moment, what are you thinking about? Our thought lives sometimes give us the comfort that nobody else can see or hear what we are thinking about. But God sees all things. And so Paul here in this verse, again in the context of what he is addressing, reminds them to think about those things which are excellent, those things which are true, those things which are noble and honorable and pure. Our minds have the tendencies of running off on these uh, rabbit trails, as it were, as we think about uh, not only just what-ifs, but even thinking about the worst in people. We, we, we read into people's actions, we read into people's um, comments beyond what they have said. But we need to guard our minds as those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, we must remember that our minds also need that sanctification, that ongoing process. And if we are to love the Lord our God with all our minds, then we must also be putting it under the conformity of God's word. As Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, that we must take every thought captive for Christ. And so we, we need to play an active role in this part. Again, in Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 2, Paul reminds us that we, are to, uh, that we are to live lives as those who have been transformed and that God is going to renew our minds. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so we need to be under the preaching of God's word. We need to study God's word. And we also need to be actively guarding our minds from thinking about those thoughts which are sinful, but those thoughts that are also not helpful. I would commend a book by Elizabeth George to you, Loving the Lord with All Your Mind. In that book, she, in, in her chapters, I think it's the first five chapters of that book, she actually deals with this verse addressing our thought lives and how we are to think those things which are truthful. In, as I said, as we think of other people and how uh, we tend to read into actions negatively, but we should replace those with positive thoughts. We should take people at their word. We should trust them for what they are saying to us and leave the, less, the rest of it to the Lord. Remember that Paul is saying these things in light of what he has uh, addressed in verses 2 and 3. You can only imagine the conflict that is 
that is hurting the church. How much of that has to do with not thinking the things which are true, which are honorable, which are just? And so too, if we are to continue enjoying this unity that the Lord has blessed this church with, we must remind ourselves of these truths. We must remind ourselves of these truths even as we interact with one another. We must almost use this as a checklist to, uh, to, to question our own motives and our own thought lives and see if they are truly pleasing to the Lord. And then lastly, we see Paul here in verse 9. He goes on to say, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So lastly, we see that a Christian is one who practices the things that they have believed, who practices the things that they have believed. Paul, as he has been urging us, even in the previous verses, the verses we looked at last week, he calls us to imitate him just as he imitates Christ. If you look back at chapter 3 and verse 17, Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And so too, we are to uh, continue after those who are before us, the godly examples that God has blessed us with as we uh, seek to live out what we find in the scriptures. You'll notice with, us, what, notice with me there in verse 9 that Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And notice that these are all passives that he uh, is addressing the Philippians who have learned from Paul. They have seen Paul's life. Uh, they have heard his preaching and the preaching of others. And so too, we as Christians receive a tradition which has been preserved, the apostolic tradition which has been passed through the New Testament church and has been preserved by faithful men, but also by our sovereign God who has ensured that we have his word written down for us. And so we are to continue in the truths that we found in God's word. We are to know the word. We are to continue in the things that we have believed, but that we must remember, as Paul reminds the Philippians at the end of this verse, that we are to practice these things. It's, it's good to know the word. It's good to understand the theology, but we must not just stop there. Our lives should be governed by the word of God, and that in everything that we do, as I was reminding us uh, in the first point, we should seek to glorify God. We must remember that there is a way of doing things which is not godly, which is sinful, but that we can look to God's word, which informs us of how we are to do what God has called us to do. We must continue in those things which we have learned, and we must apply those, and we must live according to those. And so as we've looked at this passage of Scripture together, the question that I had put before us is that, what does a Christian look like? What does a Christian look like? And we have seen that a Christian is one who rejoices at all times, that his reasonableness is known to everyone, that he is one who is prayerful in all things, and that his thought life is one that uh, is godly, and that he continues and that he practices the things 
which he has believed in. And this is what a Christian should look like. And so as you are reading this verse, as you're reading this passage of Scripture, and you're reflecting upon it, you could have one of two reactions. You could either look at this and, and realize that you are so far away from what Paul is describing a Christian should look like. Perhaps you realize that you have not come to believe in Jesus Christ and that you are far away. You have not placed your faith in him and you have not been reconciled to the God of peace that Paul speaks about. If this is you, then this is not a list that you should go and seek to live by. The first thing you need to do is to repent of your sins and to believe in Jesus Christ. Because if you are not in Jesus Christ, you cannot keep this, uh, these five, list, uh, five items on the list and think you will be right before God. Because as Isaiah reminds us that all our good deeds are as filthy rags before the Lord. And so we firstly need to be cleansed of our sins. But perhaps you're a Christian here today and you also feel that you come far short of what Paul is talking about. But we remember what he, we have seen earlier on in this letter. Remember that the Christian life is one that is a journey and that sanctification is a lifelong process of us being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We need to hear God's word proclaimed. We need to be reminded of passages of scripture like the one we have just seen this morning and that we must be encouraged to keep on cultivating these habits. We have not arrived, but we need to be reminded to be doing these things. And we must remember that there are promises attached to these commands and that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit as Christians who enables us to live out according to God's word. And as we seek to do that, let's do it prayerfully. Let's do it by depending fully on God to enable us to do what he has commanded. Because what he commands, he also provides for us to keep. So let us turn to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Our God and our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, which is inerrant, which is true, and it is living and active. And even as we open it up and we read it and we hear it proclaimed, we do so expectantly. And as your word goes out, we pray, Lord, that you would cause it to bear much fruit in the life of the hearers, and that may it May it grow and, and, and grow up into a shoot and a tree and a plant that bears much fruit, and that it will not be stolen away by the devil. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.